0: Today's Bible reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. When I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles,
1: Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you. Like, we really, really need to hear from you because you alone have the words of life. You alone are of eternal good to us, Lord. So we ask that what we hear this morning would actually be from your throne of grace and would help us to be more faithful followers of you And to draw those of us who are not Christians to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. So, um, Happy New Year. I know some of us were here last week, so you are like, well, I saw you last week. But others of us, I'm seeing a lot of people have come back. Hira is back. Um, Kevin and Kami are back. And so, Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you for coming. So, um, let me just give an advance warning. I have a little bit of a cold. And... um, so I told them this during first service, and the Lord was gracious. I didn't sneeze during the, the the sermon, but I'm just telling you, just in case, in case, right? Preachers have very like very embarrassing moments. Sneezing during what your sermon is one of them. I can assure you. But there is one that is even more embarrassing, and that I pray does not happen to me or to anyone. I've always wondered what will happen if I get, if someone gets press during their sermon. <laughs> like, what do you do? What do you, what do you say to people at that point in time? Like, um, give me five minutes. I want to quickly go to the toilet. Um, let's start praying. let <laughs> it's just, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a good thing, right? So let's just pray that that never happens here, that never happens to anyone on the preaching team, all right? Keep praying for us. But the most serious note, um, we've, um, we've been doing something called Transition Series, and Typically, what we do join our transition series is to consider what the word for the year is, or what the, what the, the revelation that God has revealed to the man of God for us. Um, and so this year, we've been considering the topic perspective. perspective. And so on 29th, Pastor Femi started us off by considering the perspective from the present, and he preached us from Psalm 39. And last week, we saw how a perspective from the past actually shapes your life, or how you should shape your life and shape what you're doing. And today, we'll be considering how a perspective from the future should actually affect how you live your life. And so while I was reflecting on, on, on this sermon or reflecting on this topic, um, I, I remembered something that happened to me like a, a, a number of years ago. Now recently, in the last few weeks, in addition to my roles as father and husband, I have a new role as the family driving instructor. (laughs) Because a new member of our family has started learning how to drive. And so when you're a driving instructor, particularly when it's your car, like you're the one that's going to pay for any damage that happens, you're like always on the edge. You're like shouting, press the brake, oh my god, look at this person, all of that. Um, I've been a good driving instructor, I can tell you that. Why are you laughing? <laughs> but it particularly made me remember something that happened to me during my own driving, my driving um, experience. Um, so on this particular day, this was I was still in university at the time. And I had been driving for like for like a year. At least over a year. so I was a pretty good driver at the time. And so my parents, like they do for like parents do for every young person. They give you a car that is really outdated and that just gets you from point A to B. Like, the car is just, it's just there. It's a car. Like, you just get from here to here and back. But everybody wants to drive daddy's car because daddy's car is a better car. Daddy's car is a good car. And so my dad had this um, Volvo 940 car that he only drove on Sundays, all right, to church. So on this particular day, they had traveled, and I was the only one at home. So I thought, hmm, I can't remember what my excuse was. This car is not doing well. The AC is not working. But this daddy's car is really, like, it really gets me to school, you know what I mean? So I dressed up in my law student's uniform, white shirt, black trousers, killer shoes, lovely tie, and I was going to school. But then I decided to take a quick tour into town. I needed to get something in town. And so I went into town, like really quite a stretch from where we lived. And this was about, so it took, all of this took me about 30 minutes. I got into town, did what I wanted to do, then saw someone I knew from church. Ah, bro, so far. This, this, this. Where are you going? I'm going to PS, uh, main campus in university. Oh, let me ride with you, he says, and he joins me on the ride. And so we start, you know, this very faithful journey, I would say. Um, we started this journey, and everything is going well until we get to one point where there's a roundabout. Now, I've driven this roundabout several times, so there was nothing particularly new about this. But then, as I was navigating the roundabout, I just heard, bah! I was like, oh, my God, what happened? I thought someone had hit me. But then I looked back, there was nobody behind me. And then I remembered, ah, I bought petrol in a jerry can and put it at the back seat behind me. So now I see it's the petrol in the jerry can. It's pouring out. Into the car and I'm thinking, oh my god, fire, fire. So I'm now I'm still I'm still driving at this point in time. I'm still navigating the roundabout. And I'm thinking, I don't want, I don't want the car to, to go on fire, right? So I, I, I'm adjusting the jerry can, putting it back, and then I stabilize the Jerry can. <laughs> And then I look ahead and I see, I just see a street light. Like I see I've climbed the road divider, I see a street light right in front of me, and I run into the street light. All of this is like like less than 10 seconds. And then the streetlight light comes just comes crashing down on the car, on daddy's car. <laughs> and then for for like when, when it landed, the airbags come out, like the, the windscreen breaks, everything is just like chaos from there. And then I you actually when that kind of thing happens, you're like, I'm dead. Like I'm like I'm literally dead. And so I thought I had died. <laughs> but then I just, I'm not seeing any white clouds, I'm not seeing anybody st- like playing a trumpet, nothing. Oh my God, I'm alive. Oh my God, I'm alive. And I open my eyes, get out of the car, you know, the, the street light is on the car, literally. The guy I picked, the guy that was, ah, bro, Emma, Leo. And the guy just ja, he entered taxi and he ja. And here I am, right. <laughs> In the middle of the road, people are driving past with my really lovely black and white outfits, you know, lost to their deck for the day, and I'm just crying. Like, I am finished. I am finished. Like, if your life wants to spoil, not only have I ruined daddy's car, I've also ruined government property. Now, don't ask me how everything worked out. God was good. He worked out, right? But I'm here today. That's all you need to know. But that street light was there. It lay there. We had to go to Ministry of Power and Energy in my state to tell them, oh, I broke, I vandalized government property, different things, all of that. Anyway, that street light was there for several months after that as a testimony to my loss of perspective. And I tell you that story because what I needed at that point was I was distracted by what was happening behind me. I needed to retain my focus on what lay ahead. Friends, I think that's what the text before us is saying to us today. Like, the writer is telling the Hebrews, guys, look back to the future. Look back to what lies ahead of you. So Hebrews is this great book, this great sermon about the greatness of Christ and superiority of Christ. And it starts off between chapters 1 and 10 talking about how great Christ is and how much superior Christ is to the angels and to the prophets because he doesn't just bring God's word, he is actually God's word. And then it says how great Christ is and how much superior Christ is to Moses because Moses is merely a servant of God. Christ is the son of God. And then it talks about how much more superior Christ is to Joshua because unlike Joshua, who merely just gives people rest, Jesus Christ himself is rest. And then it says Christ is even more superior to Melchizedek, that great priest, because he actually guarantees us a better covenant. Christ is even much more superior to the temple and the sacrificial system because he doesn't have to keep cleansing us again and again. His blood has cleansed us eternally. And so this is all that's going on, this grand theme going on in the book of Hebrews. And then he comes to chapter 11 and he lists out all these great people who have gone ahead of us in faith. And then he comes to chapter 12 and he says, therefore... That is, in light of all these great wonders I've said, in light of all these great things that I've said about the greatness of Christ, about all the guys who have gone ahead you, therefore, and then he lists how to actually live with the future perspective or how to actually travel with your eyes back to the future. And I think there are three commands here um, in this sermon that I've titled, Back to the Future, I think there are three commands here that we'll consider today that could actually help us as we actually develop a future perspective that shapes our life in 2020 and shapes our life even beyond 2020. And so again, the sermon is titled Back to the Future. And we see three commands in the text. It says, travel light. We see that in verse one. Travel with focus. We see that in verse two. And travel in hope. We see that in verses two to three. So let's dive in. Travel light. And so he begins in verse 1 talking about this great cloud of witnesses. And in the language of the time, when you talk about a cloud, it's not just this thing up there in the sky that is really beautiful. When you say cloud, you are talking about something that cannot be quantified, that is really great, it's really numerous. And so he's saying that they have, there are a number of people, a great cloud of witnesses that have gone ahead of us. And so between verses 1 to verse 31, he's listing names. He's calling Barak, he's calling Samson, he's calling Abraham, he's calling all these great guys. And then the writer suddenly realizes, oh my God, if I keep listing names, this, there will be no more space for anything. And so in verses 32 to 38, he starts talking about things that happened to them. Saying that some of these people were sown into, some of them didn't have clothes, they had to wear sheepskin and lambskin. Some of them became destitute. And he actually ends in verse 38, He says... The world was not worthy of these guys. And then in chapter 13, we see, so that's all these people in biblical times. But then in chapter 13, verse 7, he's talking about people even in the present time. So in in chapter 13, verse 7, he says to the Hebrews, consider your leaders, those who brought you up in the way of faith, and think about the outcome of their lives. So suddenly, this great cloud of witnesses is both people in biblical times and people in present times, all of whom have journeyed ahead of us in the journey of faith. But you see, he talks about them as a cloud. But he also talks about them as a cloud of witnesses. And the idea is that these guys have experienced stuff. They've experienced the hardship you're experiencing. They've experienced the letdowns and the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that you're experiencing in your day-to-day life. These people have gone ahead. And they've made it in their walk with Christ. And they surround us. So the image is like when you're in national stadium and you're, you're competing, you're playing football for your team, or you're running the national race, you're representing, even better than that, you're representing Nigeria at an international meet. You're saying the people that surround you, they're not opponents, these people are for you. And rather than actually booing you, they're actually cheering you on. They're encouraging you to run this race well. And so just imagine, like, you're in this stadium. You are running this Christian race, and there's Apostle Paul up in the stands, and there's Mary Magdalene up in the stands, and there's Mary Slessor up in the stands, and David Livingston up in the stands, and there's your secondary school matron who led you to Christ, or your friend, your senior, who led you to Christ, who taught you how to read the Bible. All these great people who have preceded us in faith, cheering you on. Such a beautiful and inspiring picture. But then you suddenly realize, oh my god, like Apostle Paul ran this race. I'm ill-equipped. The pressure is there. But you see, the reason why the writer is actually telling us this is not just for us to appreciate how much more great all these people are. He's actually saying to us that a baton has been passed on to us. And it's like in a relay race where some people have actually finished running the race. and. They've gone all the way and they hand it over to us and he's saying to you guys, Hebrews, the baton is now in your hands. Don't mess up. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us in City Church as well, the baton is now in your hands. Don't mess up. Run this race well. Imagine the pressure. But thank God that he doesn't leave us there. And so we see in verse 1, let's read it together again. Verse 1, He says, let's read it together. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Thank you. So we see in this verse two things I actually think are very important if we are to travel light and travel far and reach the destination that God has called us to in Christ. If we are to have the future perspective that we're meant to have in, in, in Christ. Two things are important. It says... Throw off. But he says also, stay the course. Throw off and stay the course. So in verse 1, you see, he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And take note of those words. Throw off. He's not merely saying, like, roll down the ball carefully. Like Like, just drop it gently. He's saying, throw it away. And it, it conjures a picture of like having a snake on your neck. You thought you were picking up, you thought you were picking up your neck chain from your jewelry box, and it was a snake that you put around your neck. And someone say, "Hey, you have a snake on your neck. You don't pick it like, oh, rare snake. Snake. You throw it away. And that's what the writer is getting at here. Throw it away. Throw it off. Don't handle it with care. Don't treat it with kid's glove. Throw it off." But he says we should throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles. And you see even though these are two different things, everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles, even though these are two different things, they serve the same function. They impede our movement in our walk with Christ. They're keeping us back, holding us back from being the followers of, and and the workers with Christ that we're meant to be. And so he says everything that hinders us in the original language, the idea here is a weight, something that's keeping you down, something that's holding you back from actually moving like you're meant to move. And many of us know here that like, there, there is a, a required weight when you're traveling in the air, for instance, that you're meant to have. If you're in economy, you're not meant to have more than 28 kg. right? If you're in business, you're not meant to have more than 32. And even when you have those, you're meant to have like, a specific number of bags. Now, we are Nigerians, so we know that when you are traveling, someone is always telling you, oh, please, ah. Every person is in the UK, you haven't seen in a long time, family, ah, man, all these egusi here, gari here is really expensive. Help me bring egusi." And So you have this box. The entire thing in the box is just like yam flour, gari, egusi, and you get, to the, you get to the airport, and instead of it being like 28, it's like 30. And you yeah, are begging, ah, it's for my brother, it's from my... Now, in Nigeria, they may allow, but abroad, they won't. And I was very fortunate to fall into that trap, right? So when I finished, a few years ago, when I finished my master's, I was coming back home as a very faithful guy that I was. I promised my fiancé at the time, who is now my wife, that I was going to come back and actually, <laughs> I prepared a better place for you. I will come and marry you. So I, I kept my word, I came back. But here was, here was the problem. I'd, I'd lived there for about a, a year, a little over a year. And I'd acquired things. Like, there, of course, they worried a lot. But they were, there were still things, right? Still, a few things. So I didn't want to throw anything away. So I packed my bags. I know how when you pack your bags, you know. You know that this thing is heavy. We're just like, God will make a way. <laughs> God, will, God will do something when I get to the airport. But well, God did not walk the way. Thought it would work. So I get there, and then instead of my bag being like 28 kg, it was like 34 or something. Like, ah, guy, 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 no, no way, no way. You're not, you're not traveling with this. So I had two bags. Problem is, I left home. So there was no way to return anything or to give. There was nobody with me, no friend. In fact, the person that followed me, I'd wave the person up. Person, Are you sure you won't have any problem? No, no, I won't have. So the person had gone. Now here I am with my two bags and my carry-on luggage to make it through. So I had to convert my carry-on box into a check-in bag. Now the problem with that is that I would have to pay, because I had just two bags, I would have to pay for that extra one. And so all the money that I had saved, people had given me, that I was meant to come back to use to do wedding, here I am paying for extra luggage with it. And then I pay, and then I check-in. And I think I even still had extra stuff that I like, guys, sorry, sorry, you can't, can't go with this. And it was a weight. It was holding me back from traveling like I was meant to travel. And that's what weights do to us, friends. They keep us back. They actually hold us back from journeying along like we're meant to journey. And you see, usually, just like in this illustration, weights are things that we love too much that we don't want to let them go. Weights are usually not seen. So you see, the writer separates, he talks about. Everything that hinders, the weights that hinder you. But he also talks about the sin. And so most times, the weights that hold us back are not things that God has said, don't do them. Are not things that are necessarily sinful. But they are still things that hold us back. And so I sorry, I'll ask you this morning, what is that weight that is holding you back? What is that thing that you really, really love and you care about? Of course, God hasn't said it's a sin, but still is holding you back from your walk with Christ. It's keeping you back from being fruitful. It's keeping you back from having the kind of progress that you're meant to have. What is that weight this morning? Could it be your Netflix subscription? And the room goes quiet. But really, could it be your Netflix subscription? Like, are you unfruitful in your walk with Christ because you prioritize your entertainment so much over your spiritual life? Or could it be the kind of friends you have in certain places you go? Or could it even be as simple as you doing things that you're not meant to do? What are those weights that are holding you back? And you see, the thing about weights is that they don't just hold us back. They also cost us. And so again, in that story, I had to pay extra to actually get the weight on the flight because I wasn't meant to travel with it. My friends, weight cost us. They cost us in our work with Christ. They cost us from being fruitful and effective. They cost us. They demand our time, but we're here to say, oh, well, I really love it. I really, you know, if I don't do this thing, what are those weights that are holding you back? But you see, the text also says, again, that there's a sin that entangles. There's a sin that entangles. But notice that when he talks about this sin, there's a definite article in front of it. There is the sin that entangles. And it's almost as though he's talking about something that was custom made for you. The same way you go to your tailor or fashion designer, they're called these days. And you go and you know, measure out what you want to wear for that party. And then he says, oh, your, your, your arm length is 34. Your neck is 15. The length of the dress is 35. The width is this and is that. And it's designed specifically for you. It's the same way that the writer is talking about here, there, there is a sin, the sin, that entangles us, that keeps us back, that really comes in and weaves itself around us. And you see, friends, the way this sin of, um, usually works is that it walks through the idolatries of our hearts. It walks through the things that we prioritize, the things that we esteem over God. So, what are those particular idolatries of your heart that are leading you a certain direction and leading you to do certain things that are sinful? And even though you know they are sinful, you still keep doing them because you love them. Could it be the idol of approval? Could it be that you really treasure so much? Like, I want people to like me. I don't. I don't like being disliked. Like, I don't. I don't like people thinking about me like this. So. Let me just tell this lie. Or let me just live a certain lifestyle, even though I can't afford it. I want to live a certain lifestyle so that people can approve of me, so that people can welcome me to their circles, so that people can think about me a certain way. Is it the idol of approval? Or maybe yours is the idol of comfort. And because you think so much about like not being in a position where things are stressful, like, oh my god, Lagos is so stressful. I can't live here, traffic, all these things. So you've decided that you're going to make money at any cost, no matter how much it demands from you, because you want to enjoy your comfort. Or it keeps you back from having certain kinds of conversations with people, even though there might be things that will be helpful for them, because you really like comfort. And you don't, you don't want to be in a place where you're disagreeing and you're arguing. You don't see anything. Or maybe, just maybe, this idol of comfort is driving you to take certain decisions for your family that even though they are not helpful and even though rather they will benefit your family in the long run, in the spirit in the long run and make your family very helpful and, and very healthy spiritually. You don't want to inconvenience yourself. And the writer tells us, the text tells us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, if you will have a future perspective, you must travel light. And to travel light, you have to throw off everything. Like, deal with it. Deal with it. Throw off every weight and every sin. But the second thing he says is that we must stay the course. And so we see in our last part, it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So again, here there are two things. It says, run with perseverance. It means that, guys, sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. Like, don't believe anyone who tells you that the Christian life is made easy because Christ has suffered and died. Like, it's sometimes going to be hard. It's sometimes going to be difficult. Sometimes you have to deny yourself to fast. Sometimes you have to deny yourself to make GC, even though it's inconvenient for you. Sometimes you have to do things that you don't like. And so in this church, sometimes we do meal and fun days. But sometimes doing the hard thing means that even though you love meal and fun days and it's easy for you to go, and then when there's Kingdom Prayer Day, you still show up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You still show up. So our race is kind of like the Lagos Marathon. It's coming up in three weeks, about three to four weeks now, and we are thankful for Fumi and Okiemi who run on all of our behalf in this church. Um, we're cheering you on in the marathon. You guys keep going. But our race is kind of like the marathon. You know, let me tell you how not to win the Lagos Marathon. This is a word from the altar, right? How not to win the Lagos Marathon. This is how not to win the Lagos Marathon. So it starts at Stadium and it ends at the barbecue. This is how not to win the Marathon. You start running from stadium. You get to Ojota. You run all the way with all your power, with all your might. You run. You get to Ojota. And you're like, ah, man. My god, this thing is hard. But there's a bus. So you get on the bus and ride from Ojota to Ifakog Bagada. And then you get there and you're like, ah, yes, I've regained my strength. Let me come down. And then I'll run again. So you run again from Ifako Bagada. You run to Yanowuru. You're like, ah, man. My God, the sun is out. Different things. Ah, this thing's just hard. So you get on the bus again. And then you ride all the way. You get on, you're riding on third mainland in the bus. And then you see all these Ethiopians and these Kenyans that are running hard. Who win our prizes every year. You say, God catch you. I will show you this year. I will show you this year. You wave at them. You pass them. Then you get to Ozumba. You come down. And then you start running again to the barbecue. Like, ah my God, I finally made it. What are they going to say to you? You didn't run the race. You didn't run with perseverance. The people who run the race, the people who win the race, who run the race, are those who start from the, from the beginning and run all the way to the end. And that's what our text is saying to us: like, run with perseverance. It will be hard, but the end is worth it. Run with perseverance, it's going to take something from you, but it's going to be worth it. Run with perseverance. There will be buses for you to get on. Don't take them. Just keep running all the way, because what is promised at the end is greater than what you're experiencing now. Run with perseverance. But he says, don't just run with perseverance. Run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. And the idea there is that there is a track that has been set. There's a track that has been laid out. Don't invent anything. Don't invent any new path for yourself. Run that track that has been set. And So stay with that Lagos Marathon um, um, illustration. Now, you know, so you're, you're meant to run. The way the marathon is set is you're meant to run from Stadium through Ikorodu Road, down to Ojota. You climb up, and then you run all the way from Alakpere down to um, Third Mainland Bridge, run all the way Descend at um, Ikoi, I think, somewhere there. And then you join Ozumba, and then you run, um, you run all the way to the end. Now, let's say you decided, this is a powerful issue. Are we not going to the beach at VID? From stadium here? They want, who do they want to kill? So you decide, no, 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 I don't, want, I don't like that part. It's too far. You face the back. And then you decide from stadium to run to Costain. Then you climb a co Bridge, and then you descend at Marina, and you run all the way to Amadu Bello, and you run to VI. Have you, not made, have you not run the race? And then you get there, and like, I ran the race. I finished in record time. What would they tell you? Like, no, no, no. That, that was not the Lagos Marathon. That's another thing entirely, but not the Lagos Marathon. Why? Because that was not the track that was set. That was not the race that was marked out for you. And the, and, the, and the text is telling us this morning: Don't just run with perseverance. Imagine you go there and say, ah, "I didn't, even, I did, I like, I did not even touch the bus. Not to talk about entering it, I didn't even touch it. I didn't drink water. I just ran with all my power. I ran with perseverance. said, ah, oh God, sorry. It's another race. It's not the Lagos marathon. And that's what the text is telling us. It says run with perseverance, not just any risk, but this risk that is marked out for us. Friends, there is no inventing the will in Christianity. There is a race that has been marked out for us. There's a track that has been set out for us. Don't say, oh, by the 21st century, I don't like all these 1st century things that are going on here. Don't sleep with your girlfriend. What is that? Maybe they didn't have protection at the time, but we do now, so it's okay. I can kind of sleep with my girlfriend. I still come to church on Sunday, even though, you know, God understands. No, 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 no. text says no. There's nothing like that. And so he says, run that race that has been marked out for us. And Jude picks up on his language in Jude chapter, Jude chapter 1 verse 3. He says, contend earnestly for the faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints. So the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, friends, that if we'll be people who will travel with the future perspective, we must travel light. We must throw off everything that's hindering us and we must stay the course. So can I ask you, are you throwing off the weights and the sins in your life? Are you dealing with them ruthlessly? The way you deal with a snake that you found in your toilet bowl or you deal with a snake that you find on your bed, are you dealing with it ruthlessly? Or are you treating it with kids' gloves? Those kind of gloves that we're using in the 90s when we're doing um, choreography. Praise the Lord, those white rubber things. Is Is that how you're dealing with sin? Or are you dealing with sin the way Anthony Joshua deals with his opponents? Like, I'm coming to this fight, man. I'm here to die. Is that how you're dealing with sin? Are you staying the course? Are you running with perseverance? Are you getting help from people along on the way. Christians who have run ahead. you talking to your pastor like, I really need help. I'm struggling with this thing. I want to run well. I want to run this race well. Like I feel the pressure. Oh my God. I, I, I feel the pressure to cut corners in my business, but I want to run this race that has been marked out for me. text says, if we must travel with our eyes to the future, we must travel light. We must throw off the sin that easily Entangles us. We must throw off the weights that hold us back and we must stay the course running with perseverance, not just any race, but this race that's been laid out for us. But the second thing we see in these verses, in verses 1 to 3, is that we must travel with focus. Travel with focus. And so the writer begins in verse 2, he says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So friends, it must be people who travel with our eyes to the future in 2020 and all of our lives. We must be people who fix our eyes on Jesus. must be people who travel with focus. We're not just looking anywhere. We're not just like, oh, it's just to go straight, Abby. She's just to be going straight, and you're just going straight. No, no, no. He says, no, no, no. Don't just go straight. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I know the main reason why the accident I talked about in the opening illustration, the main reason why it happened was because my eyes got off the road. I was distracted by something that was very important. It was very important, like petrol should not be pouring in your car. But I lost sight of what lay ahead. Friends, this is often the case that part of the reasons why our life is the way it is right now The way our life was, the way it was in 2019, and the way our life has been, the way it has been, is because we've often lost sight of Jesus. We often lose sight of Jesus. But you know the amazing thing about verse 2, it says, it's not even just that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, it was that Jesus himself traveled with focus. And so you see in the latter part, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, calling his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, very God himself, true God, traveled with his eyes to the future. He wasn't dissuaded from his goal. He wasn't distracted from what lay ahead. He traveled with his eyes to the future. He set his focus. No wonder in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan comes in with all these mesmerizing temptations all these things that could act, actually persuade him or taking him away from his goal he said no i have my eyes set on the future i have my eyes set on future glory i have my eyes set on redemption for sinners distracted unfocused people like you and i and there is a particularly striking verse in john chapter 5 verse 15 jesus had just finished During the miracle of the 5,000, he had taken five loaves of bread and two fish and he had worked one of the most astounding miracles ever. Like he had multiplied, that's not even just ordinary multiplication. He had done, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He had exponential, thank you, fantastic. Exponential miracles. Multiplied the bread for 5,000 people. And then the text tells us in verse 15 that they wanted to make him king. Can you think how very, very close that was to his goal? Jesus came to be king, and they wanted to make him king. And Jesus could have said, like, wow, this is the golden opportunity. This is the door of opportunity that comes once in a lifetime. I cannot miss this opportunity. And he could have said, oh, yes, they can make me king, but I'll still work it out some way. I'm still going to redeem them. I'm still going to pull them to myself. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says no. It's very close to the goal he came, it's very close to what he came to achieve, it's very close to what he came to do, but he says no, because that was not the goal, that was not the focus. And friends, the same thing applies to us. We are called to fix our eyes, to make our goals resolute, deliberate on Christ. And anyone who has been married for more than one day knows that one of the ways to actually make a shipwreck of your marriage is to lose focus of your spouse. And so people often build in shock absorbers. You say, oh, um, we're working different jobs, but we're going to take our time to meet together. We're working different jobs. Like, Lagos is crazy. Things are happening. Stress from work. But we're going to have date nights on Friday. We're going to go somewhere together. We're going to... All the people who have been married for more than ten years like, date, date what? Date Date nights. But you take out time. You discuss. like, oh, there's this person at work who is driving me nuts. You tell the person about that. There's this thing my boss said. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You tell the person about that. You're constantly finding ways for your lives to align. Why? Because you don't want to lose focus of the person. And that's what the text is calling us here to do. Align your life in such a way that your eyes remain fixed on Christ. Live your life in such a way that nothing actually takes you away from the goal of fixing your eyes on Jesus. So it involves fighting. It involves making resolutions. It involves taking deliberate steps. Like, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm focused on Christ. Not being distracted by things. And so, might there be places where you are meant to stop going because they're taking your focus away from Christ? Or sometimes, could it even be very simple things like actually deciding not to eat late so that you can wake up on time to study your Bible and pray? Or let me even dial up the heat a little bit. Have you reviewed your life in 2019 and thought about how you actually didn't make progress in your spiritual work? And what what have you decided to do in 2020? Like, don't just say, oh, 2020, I want to be a better Christian. I want to fix my eyes on Christ. What does that look like? What does that look like? Does it mean five five minutes of prayer here? Does it mean talking to this person? Does it mean reading this thing? What does that look like? Friends, because if we do not decide, if we do not take deliberate steps, if we do not act decisively to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, let me tell you what will happen. Our life is designed in such a way that our focus from Christ will not automatically happen. And so the text says, no, 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 fix your eyes on Christ. Don't just do stuff. Don't just fight your sin. Don't just um, resolve to run with perseverance. It says, fix your eyes on Christ. Why? Because he is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And friends, this is our hope. It means that because he is the pioneer, it means that we're not trying to start something that can't be completed. It means that because Jesus has gone to the cross for us, and let me just tell you, Jesus didn't go to the cross to, to compete for the world's strongest man. How many pounds of sin can you carry? No, that's not why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to bear the burden of our sin that we could never bear. Jesus did not go to the cross to just drink a cup of juice or to drink a cup of tea or to be there for fun. No, Jesus went there to drink the cup of God's wrath for you and I, unfocused and distracted people. And because he has taken it on himself, we actually have hope that we can fix our eyes on Christ. Can I ask you, what are you doing in 2020? What have you decided? Maybe you haven't decided already, but can I ask you, after this sermon, please go back home and pray and decide what can we begin to do as a family? What can I do as an individual? What can we do as a group of friends to keep our eyes focused on Christ because it will not happen automatically? We have to keep our eyes focused on Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then lastly, we see, he says, okay, you want, to keep your, you want to travel with your eyes to the future. You want to keep looking back to the future. Travel light. Travel with focus, but travel also in hope. So lastly, he says to us, travel in hope. And so verse 3 opens up with the, with the words. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. And the word consider him there in the original language means to reason deliberately and carefully about something, to analyze, to break it down into its parts, to consider something well. And so on the one hand, it it might feel like, oh, verse 3 is kind of just repeating verse 2. It says, fix your eyes, consider Jesus. It's kind of like the same thing. I think there's a slight difference. So in verse 2, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He talks about the cross. He talks about the shame he endured. And so he calls us to follow his example, to imitate him, to be like him. But then verse 3 tells us to reason carefully about his person so that we will not grow hopeless. And you don't have to be 90 years old. You know very well, all of us in this room, that life can be very hopeless. Like you can wake up, the sky is blue, and something, you just need to receive a phone call or a text, and everything just goes out the window. Or you can be at work, and everything has been going well. Your last performance review was great, and you just walk to your, to your desk, and you're like, where's my chair? you have been fired. Life can be very hopeless. And so he tells us in this text, if you're going to constantly go through life with hope, if you are going to have the kind of resolve that actually drives you forward with hope, you have to consider Christ. And in this verse, in verse 2, we actually find something very hope-giving about the person of Christ. It says, for the joy set before him, we talked about that, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we find that Christ right now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in biblical language, right hand refers to a place of honor, a place of power, a place of strength. And so he's telling us that Christ right now is seated at the right hand of God. He's seated at the place of utmost glory. He's seated at the place of utmost splendor. But he's seated. He's seated. And I'm like, Why is he not walking up and down? Why is he not pacing? Why is he not thinking, all these crazy people in Lagos, all these Christians, they are going to mess everything up. Oh, my God. Or Why is he not biting his fingernails? Oh, all these Christians in Lagos, how are they going to? No, no, he's not not worrying. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And it might not look spectacular to you, but the text actually tells us that it is. Because in Hebrews 10, 11 to 14, it tells us that day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the very same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Talk about hopeless. But when this priest, who is Jesus Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he didn't walk out. He didn't didn't, didn't sleep. He didn't stop pacing up and down. He says, he sat down at the right hand of God. And in verse 14, he says, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are made holy. And what this text is telling us is that in the Old Testament, priests were always offering sacrifices for sins. Like, you go there, and you're like, oh my God, I did it again. You did what again? I did it again. You did it again, the priest takes... The, the animal and he slaughters. Father, have mercy on this person. Then your sin, is, your sin is forgiven. And then you do it again and you have to go and slaughter another animal. And in a sense their work was never done. So they could never sit down. They were always working. But he says no, in this age we have a priest who's, who did not just slaughter the blood, who did not just slaughter bulls and rams for us. He gave himself for us. And he's not going to be doing it every time. Why? Because his blood done it once and for all friends this is our hope we have someone who has actually given himself for us we have someone who has actually offered his own blood eternally to appease the wrath of god on our lives and now he's seated because his work is done and so we can travel in hope knowing that because he's committed to his glory he's committed to he will work in us we will actually finish the course That this whole thing about this future perspective of what lays ahead, of who you can actually be in 2020 by the grace of God, who God has made you to be in 2020, more loving of Christ, more loving of others, more concerned about the gospel and mission. That that's not just something that is up in the air. That is something that can actually happen because he has offered himself and now he's seated at the right hand of God. But the Bible tells us that it doesn't just give us hope in this life. It says that it gives us hope beyond this life. And so our hope eternally is not that we are going somewhere to escape all the pressures of sin in this world. Our hope eternally is that we are going to be with God in the new heavens and new earth in this very world renewed and hope given. Friends, this is something to live for. This is something to live for. This is the future perspective to travel with. It's like, you know, there events that maybe your friend is the wedding planner for one party. Or even better, let me let me let me give a better example. So Adesua and Banki W's wedding. All of us, found, well, okay, not all of us, right? Good. Some of us found out on the day of the event, like, eh, they're getting married. Wow, a landmark. Imagine that you you get you you receive the call from a friend who was invited, and the person was like, hey, eh, I'm the one doing the decoration. I found this card on the floor. Just make sure you get there on time. You can actually get in. So this friend gives you the card on the basis of a possibility that you can actually get in. And then you get there and you're like, ah. The bouncer says, no, your name is not on the list. You say, no, 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 this is the card. You say, no, 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 your name is not on the list. You can't get in." But then imagine that you're Adesua's friend. And then you get there, and you're like, my name is not on the list, but I'm Adesua's friend. And Adesua is walking past. You say, hey, Lola, come in, come in, come in, come in. There is no bouncer in this world that can actually stop you. What's the difference? One gives a possibility of actually getting in. The other one is a certainty that you'll get in. Friends, Jesus Christ does not purchase a possibility for us. Jesus Christ purchased a certainty for us that we can get to the end. And this is the hope that the word of God gives us. This is the hope that the text presents to us today, that we can travel light, we can travel with focus, but ultimately we travel in hope because he has done all that there is to do for you and I. So if you're a Christian here today, can I tell you that you're a blood-washed, blood-secured child of God, and God has purchased for you a future that you can actually travel with, a certainty that this will happen. And so when the word of God commands us to fight and to throw off our sin, it's not just because you're trying to earn God's favor, you're trying to conjure up something that is not really there, it's because Christ has died and is now seated making sure that it will happen for you. So can I encourage you, resolve in 2020. I'm traveling with my eyes back to the future. I'm traveling with my eyes set on Christ. I'm taking deliberate steps to make sure that nothing is taking me away from Christ. Everything that I'm doing this year is to make sure that my eyes are set on Christ and I'm running, running, throwing off my sin, fighting sin, inviting others into my life, making sure that I'm in places where I can receive the grace of God, the kingdom prayer day, the theology day, the services, my gospel community, doing everything that I can to make sure that this grace that has been purchased for me is actually at work in my life. But if you're not a Christian here, we well, you're someone who actually feels that you can actually still kind of combine, you know, I like what's going on. I like, you know, this Bible thing. But well, I also like my friends. and I like the life I, I live there. Can I say to you that ultimately you're not traveling with a future perspective? And no matter how much success you, re, re, you, you record this year, no matter how much greatness you record this year, no matter how much self-discipline you record this year, and how great your performance reviews are at work, and whether you get a new employment or not, and how many people you give arms and money to, you're ultimately not traveling with a future perspective, and it doesn't end well. But Christ has purchased for you a future that is not merely a possibility, but one that is a certainty, because he has given himself, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. Can I ask us to bow down our heads? and talk to God. Again, just this is the start of a new year and some of us here are not Christians. We don't know Christ. We don't, or better still, Christ doesn't know us. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that there are going to be those on the last day who will come and say to God, we did this in your name. No, but he says, no, I never knew you. Can I ask you to commit to Christ this year? Can I ask you to let go of the sin that easily entangles you and the things you love so much and to give yourself to Christ? Commit your life to Christ. You can speak to me or to Dami or to Yemi, or Moses or any one of our leaders after the service. But maybe you are here, you're a Christian. Can I ask you to just resolve, to take deliberate steps to make sure that 2020 is not just like 2019, but 2020 becomes the year where you are traveling with your eyes back to the future, focused on Christ, fixed on Christ, fixed on his greatness, fixed on what he has done for you and who he can make you to be and what he has ultimately promised in the new heavens and new earth. we thank you because you are gracious and kind and Lord Jesus right now you're not pacing up and down you're not chewing your nails Lord you're seated at the right hand of the throne of God because you have done all that there is to do concerning our lives and concerning our future so Lord we ask that you help us to trust in you and to walk with you this year fixing our eyes on Christ considering Christ and traveling light throwing off weights and sin and stay in the course. We ask that you help us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.